Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au Keep going in the book of Luke and uh, reading that great story that Luke's uh, given to us, a biography, a gospel account of Jesus Christ. Uh, today, um, we love a good news story, don't we? Particularly after the bad news we received after the last few days of going back into lockdown again. We love a good news story. Uh, the relief, the joy, the freedom and the fear that, that's been lifted off our shoulders uh, when we hear a good news story. It's just something really, really amazing about that. Uh, on May the 8th, In 1945, uh, the world had heard a long-awaited announcement. The Second World War was over. The enemy had been overcome and they they conceded defeat. Uh, In the streets, as you can see in that image on the screen there, there was jubilation and there was happiness that sent the people into ecstasy and into joy. We've been rescued from an enemy that's been causing us pain and misery and now it's all over. It's a good news story. It's great news. And particularly as we saw that image just there, there a few seconds ago, joyful, jubilation, ecstasy, uh, lift, weight lifted off their shoulders of all the fear and the concern of the Second World War. Luke today is going to take us to the, the good news story of all time. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with me to uh, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 20. You can follow along on the screen with us as well. Uh, Starting at verse 1, Luke 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, Lord, we thank you now and praise you that we're able to come again uh, this day, albeit, Lord, uh, separated by distance, but, Lord, unified in heart and in spirit through your Son, Jesus, and what he's done for us through the gospel. Uh, We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would take our hearts and unify them now through this passage here in Luke chapter 2 as we see the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. May it too bring good news of great joy to our hearts as we contemplate truly what you have done. And Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you might be thinking, this seems like a strange passage. It's a bit like Christmas in February. Didn't we, shouldn't we have spoken about this like about eight weeks ago? Probably should have. But anyway, we're here today in Luke 2, and I can assure you that Luke wasn't thinking about Christmas when he wrote this 2,000 years ago. Luke is writing to us so that we will grow our vision of who Jesus Christ is. And from that, we'll deepen in our love and worship for our matchless King and Saviour for what he's done for us. Uh, The purpose of this series is we're going to go right through the book of Luke, picking out um, uh, passages from each chapter. The, The purpose of this series is to grow our joyful love and devotion for Jesus Christ and to see that gospel transform our hearts and our whole being, as it were, so that we would walk in peace, joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to see as we go through the book of Luke. See, Luke is writing to us here uh, the gospel account of the life, death, well I should say the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he taught, what he's done and what he's going to do as well. He's giving us here a, a ground up perspective to give us a glorious picture of God's salvation provided to a people unworthy, that's me, undeserving, that's me, that's everybody, through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who is the worthy one and is the deserving one. Uh, Today we see the birth of Jesus Christ, perfectly and sovereignly ordained by God, with not one detail out of place. Not one thing is missing in God's promises of delivering a son, delivering a Messiah, delivering a saviour, to rescue us and to save us. And to see what's happening here, uh, we are going to see the person of God, as it were, uh, filled with love and grace towards people in rescuing and saving us. We'll see this picture of God today. Here's our big idea, which will summarise roughly where we are going. Uh, Jesus, our Saviour, is the good news, is the good news of great joy and peace for the lowly and humble of heart. For the lowly and humble of heart. Okay, if there's something that we can see in this chapter, if you look at it closely, there are contrasts. There are contrasts that are taking place. Uh, Luke is a is an historian. He's got a detailed account here of Jesus Christ, this gospel, this biography of Jesus, which is including historical people and places and events that take place at around this time. And this is one of the great things about Luke's gospel. He gives us these details that really fill in the gaps behind the scenes, which give us a very uh, comprehensive account of the life of Jesus Christ. Here Luke mentions at the outset of this chapter, Caesar Augustus. Now, he's not the star of this chapter, but but that's really important for us to know who this Caesar Augustus is, because it actually will provide a contrast for us in this chapter as we look at the birth of Jesus. Who is Caesar Augustus? 
He's the Roman ruler in place at the time of Jesus' birth. He's the ruler of the Roman Empire. Uh, He originally came to power about 37 BC, and then he reigned until about 14 AD, partway through Jesus' early life. Now, that's a long period of time for Roman emperor. That's a long period of time. Often with jealousy rife within the power struggles for the Roman Empire, uh, these emperors, these guys, only lasted a few years, not decades. Sometimes only lasted a few months, depending on the political power plays that were happening in the background. So he was a well-respected ruler and uh, ruled for a long time is Caesar Augustus. As with all Roman emperors, uh, this guy lived a lifestyle of pomp, power and prestige. They only mixed with the wealthy and the powerful people. For the Roman emperors, it was all about the rich and famous. You didn't really associate with anybody else. That's who you got along with and that's who you did your time with. Now with this Caesar Augustus, during his reign here, this long reign, uh, this phrase called the Pax Romanos was spoken about him and particularly over this reign here of Caesar Augustus. Pax Romanos is the peace of Rome across the empire. This peace of Rome, though, was really different, this Pax Romanus, in other, compared to other peace that was perhaps gained through the world through various times. The Pax Romanus come as a bloody and brutal peace. A bloody and brutal peace. Any voice or action raised against Rome against their way of doing things, against the empire itself, was bludgeoned into submission. It was a bloody and brutal peace. It was peace, but only on Rome's terms, or be crushed into submission. Something else here that's very significant about uh, Caesar Augustus is that it's here... Uh, the first time we see this word Augustus, as it were, replaced, or not replaced, but added to a Caesar's name. And the word Augustus means divine, holy, revered, and like a god. In actual fact, in Philippi, there's an inscription there to the Roman emperors, and this inscription for the Roman emperors was, likened to a saviour of the world was a Roman emperor. You see, with Caesar Augustus began emperor worship, worshipping these Roman emperors, worshipping these Caesars as gods or like gods of the people. Now, the culture actually uh, reveled in this because they were so prosperous in this time. They just loved whatever the Caesar could do for them because he was pampering their lifestyle through this brutal regime of peace, but giving them peace and prosperity at the same time. And so they bought into this emperor worship. But at the same time, this emperor worship caused the early Christians to lose a lot of lives because they're not going to worship the emperor. They're going to worship the one true living God. But we see there, though, emperor worship started with Caesar Augustus. So here's the scene that Jesus Christ is born into. It's a world marked by the wealthy, by the elite, and the powerful dominating the poor. It's a world that looks for a saviour amongst its own people, someone to lead us out of hopelessness and despair and to see prosperity in our lives. It's a world that gave peace only if you agree with their worldview. If you don't go along with their view of the world, 
then you'll run over the top of until your voice is eventually drowned out or your life is snuffed out. The lowly and the marginalised were left with no hope in their lives in this Roman world at that particular time. You see, that's the culture and the world where it was headed at the birth of Jesus Christ. That's where it was at. Now, in many respects, that culture isn't a whole lot different from our culture of today. Times may have changed, but culture really hasn't changed. Just think about even the US political scene over the last few months. There was a few thoughts getting around there for a little while about President Trump, that he was a type of saviour for that country. We're again, we're a culture where the wealthy and the elite are idolised and worshipped. We, we see these celebrities and we put them up on a pedestal and we nearly worship these people for what they've achieved. And the world we live in today still sees the poor and lowly feeling like they are crushed by the society they live in. But you see, Luke has got a different king. Luke has got a different saviour in mind here as he writes this chapter. It's a total contrast to what we see in Caesar Augustus and the Roman Empire of Pax Romanos. Okay, let's go to the announcement here that we see about this birth of Jesus coming. And in verse 14, uh, they're given this announcement by the angels that it's peace. Peace on earth for those whom God is pleased with. See, this is the true peace that God brings and a total contrast to the peace of Rome. But as we think about this announcement and we think about this peace that God's announcing and bringing, let's think about how this is announced and the people it's announced to. Firstly, uh, God doesn't choose to bring this peace child, as it were, Jesus Christ, from a high-flying celebrity couple. God doesn't do that. This isn't a couple that a high-powered social elite fashion-leading mega-couple who God uses to bring about his plans for this couple to bring the peace child through. God does something really ordinary in the eyes of the world here in the sense of who's the couple that he will bring this child through? Joseph. Who is he? He's a run-of-the-mill carpenter man. He's a chippy. He's a tradie. He's the guy you'd see at Bunnings. Wearing the bloodstones, probably a pencil in the ear and a uh, measuring tape on the belt. Probably carrying a meat pie as well while he's walking around Bunnings. He's just an ordinary run-of-the-mill guy. Mary, she's probably a 14 to 16-year-old teenager at this particular time, culturally acceptable back then, and in an arranged marriage at that time. Mary's probably like a 20-something girl, maybe working at a checkout at a department store. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we'd probably think that's just a fairly sort of mundane, routine job. Just an ordinary type person going about their life. Ordinary couple. At this stage, they're not married though either. They're betrothed, we saw there in God's word. That's likened to be engaged or engaged to be married at some point down the track for us. But Mary's pregnant. Mary's carrying a child. That's shameful. That's scandalous in the Jewish culture of the day. They're not married yet. What will everybody think of Joseph? What sort of immoral man is he? Or what about Mary? 
Is she some sort of seductive temptress who's actually forced herself onto Joseph so she could have a child? Shameful and scandalous, this couple would appear to be within the Jewish culture at that time. But the picture we get here as we look at this is this. God chooses the ordinary and perhaps the embarrassing couple to bring into this world Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. It's the ordinary, perhaps embarrassing. Now let me just add here to clear this up in case there's questions in your mind right now. Joseph didn't have sex with her. He was an upright man. Uh, We know the Bible tells us that Jesus was conceived divinely by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural act upon the Virgin Mary. Just to clear up any questions there. Who does God make this initial announcement to? To like letting the people know what he's done or what he's about to do. Because you think if this is going to be such a big announcement for the saviour of the world to come in, you would think to yourself in our terms today, wouldn't you arrange like a Top Gun social media campaign? Wouldn't you get this cutting edge people to really design with graphic designers to do all the publicity profiling you could to really make this go off? Wouldn't you organise primetime television advertising space to make sure you maximised your audience? Wouldn't you arrange to have all the leaders of the world in place for the announcement of the Saviour because you're going to make this really go? Because after all, this is a world-changing event for the peace that God is bringing. What does God do? How does he announce this peace? An angel visits three shepherds sitting by a campfire in the back box of Bethlehem sitting around the campfire, having a yarn about life. Did you see that black sheep yesterday jump over the fence? Aren't sheep dumb? Just sitting around the fire, having a chat, talking about what's going on in the world. Do you hear about, well, they want us to park donkeys now in Bethlehem. They want us to park it up that street and up this street. Three guys sitting around the campfire, having a yarn about life. What happens? An angel appears with the glory of God shining all around them. And rightly so. They fall off their rocks and onto their faces in terrifying fear at this sight. And as the angel says in verse 10, fear not, fear not. Now you might be thinking, well, okay, what's all that about? That's not so strange, is it? Well, just to help us understand here, how would Luke's readers have understood this, that three shepherds received this announcement here, this Sort of global announcement, as it were. You see, shepherds in Luke's day were untrustworthy and unreliable. That's how they were seen. Shepherds were close to being the lowest of the low, maybe just one rung above lepers in that Jewish culture of those days. They were untrustworthy and they were unreliable witnesses. You see, guys like the shepherds were best kept out in the paddocks and not on the streets of Bethlehem or any other town in Palestine of that particular day. Because you just can't trust these shepherds. We know what they are, untrustworthy and unreliable. Now, we might say there, if we were Luke's readers reading that, God, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Why did you get this ordinary couple of Joseph and Mary and then you made this announcement to these shepherds, this just makes no sense, God. What, like, what are you doing here? 
Wouldn't you rather go to the Roman elite and make this grand announcement? This thing can really take off with a shaboom? What are you doing here? Couldn't we actually get Facebook and Instagram and Twitter all coordinated to just go live at the same time with this fantastic announcement? That's not God's ways. God chooses the lowly. God chooses the humble to reveal his grace to. God's not impressed by our social media status and how many friends we may have gained on Facebook. He's not looking for that to sort of, okay, now I can find a real popular person there, I'll choose them and I'll reveal myself to them or I'll make my announcement through them. That's not how God works. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. God chooses the ordinary, the lowly. God takes those who know they are spiritually poor, lowly, humble of heart, and know they can't do anything to earn God's grace, and know they are unworthy of receiving anything from the Lord. And it's to those people that God announces this good news of peace through the gospel. You see, Luke is writing here, to build certainty into our lives about who God is. God's love, who's for all people who come to him empty, washed up, nothing left to give, barren, and regardless of their perceived uh, status in society, doesn't matter before God. Luke's trying to show us that here and build certainty to who God is and what he's done. And it's a complete contrast, if you think about it here, to where the Roman world and culture is of that day. See, Luke is showing us the gospel runs counter-culturally and the gospel changes everything according to his purposes and grand plans. Let's think about the angels, though, for a moment here, with their joy and the jubilation of this announcement they make to the three shepherds. Because I think as we look at them, we actually see what God has wonderfully done here to glorify himself. In verse 11, as we look at this uh, passage again, uh, they tell the shepherds, uh, the angels tell the shepherds what God has done. It says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. A few things happening just in that really tiny verse right there. First thing we see is uh, a baby is born. For unto you is born this day. Angels talking to shepherds. That is someone who is flesh and blood just like us. Someone who will identify with us. Someone who will be just like us. There's a baby that is born. Secondly, let's think about what else is said here. Secondly, it's this. It's born in the city of David. That's significant. That's really significant. You don't just sort of glide over that. That's really significant. This lines up with Old Testament scripture uh, prophesying and predicting the birth of the Messiah. Uh, let's go to Micah 5 to and we'll see that. But you, O Bethlehem, uh, uh, but, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God carries out his plans without fail. Not one detail is out of place. This is written uh, maybe a thousand years beforehand. 700 or a thousand years beforehand. And what's it saying there? 
a ruler will come out of Bethlehem. Where's Jesus born? Bethlehem. That's incredibly important for us. God fulfills his word. Amazingly, God orchestrates and ordains all these events that Caesar Augustus is going to have a census for taxation purposes and it's right at that time. And Mary and Joseph are betrothed and Mary's carrying a child and Joseph's part of the house of David. He's got to go back to... God's perfectly putting all this together and fulfilling his word. Thirdly, in verse 11 again, the baby is a saviour. The baby is a saviour. Really important. A saviour? Saved from what? The angels also who announced this peace in verse 14, telling us there's a, there's a construct here of peace, but it's also linking this to the saviour. But if we think about peace, peace usually comes after a war, doesn't it? Like we've called for peace and an amnesty of peace. There is a war going on. There is a war going on. The war is between us and God. The battle is over who who will rule our lives. Who will actually rule our hearts. That's the battle. That's the war. Romans 8, 7 actually gives us a picture of this battle uh, right there. And it says this in Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. The unspiritual mind that doesn't submit to God's rule, as we're told there, is hostile to God. It's an enemy of God. Maybe you didn't think you were in. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm I'm okay with God. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. If you haven't submitted yourself to God through the gospel... The Bible would call us there uh, hostile towards God, an enemy. There's a war going on. We need someone to bring us peace with God. We need a saviour to save us from God's right justice towards his enemies who deserve it, who refuse to submit to him as their Lord and as their creator. We need to be saved. This baby is a saviour. But this is no ordinary baby or saviour either. Look again in verse 11 where it says this. It's Christ the Lord. Now, just a few words there, but that's huge. That's way bigger than you can ever think of. Don't miss what this is saying here for us. We're not meant to actually get to this verse and sort of just glide on right past this statement and just keep on reading without stopping and thinking What's that saying to me? What's that saying to you as we read this together? So the word Christ means the anointed one or the Messiah that they've been longing for, the long-awaited Messiah. Now that's special in itself because God again is faithful in promising and bringing now the Messiah. But this Messiah is no ordinary Messiah. This is the Messiah that God sent, but this Messiah is the Lord This is where we stop and we think a little bit harder and understand what's being said there. So this Saviour, the Messiah, is the Lord. So this Saviour is God in the flesh. God has come among us. He is coming to bring peace between us and himself. God is the initiator of this peace. 
God hasn't sent an angel to be the saviour. God hasn't sent an angel to identify with us and ultimately to reconcile us back to himself. No. God has sent himself. God is coming himself to do this reconciliation, to bring this peace. Can you see what I mean when I say this is massive? This is not small. This is probably one of the biggest verses in the Bible. God has come down. God is in the manger as a tiny, helpless baby boy wrapped up in swaddling cloths. God has come down to identify with us through all of our weaknesses and our trials. God has come down to experience all of our sufferings and our pains. God has come down. But why God? God, why couldn't you just send an angel to do this? God, God why, did you do, why did you come to do this yourself? Why you? Good questions to ask. Think about it. Isn't this the ultimate act of love demonstrated towards us when God comes to rescue us? God comes to bring this peace? If my child is drowning in the pool and I jump in instead of asking someone else who's sitting over there to jump in for me, wouldn't my child think, gee, Dad really does love me? Imagine if I sat there as my child fell into the pool and she can't swim, which happened one day of Chelsea many years ago. Um, and if I just sat there and kept reading the paper and said, excuse me, can you just jump in and get my daughter? Thank you. What would Chelsea think? Ah, I think that guy there loves me more than what Dad does. The ultimate act and demonstration of love. But think again, this is higher as well as we think about this with God. If I know that God comes himself and doesn't send an angel, when I know that and grasp that, does God grow high in my admiration for him or lower? Does this act that God has just done make God more glorious to me or less glorious to me? When I know that I deserve nothing more than God's judgment and condemnation as his enemy who is hostile towards him, and then I see God comes personally to save me, how then should I respond as I take that context in place? Well, I think the angels give us a real hint here how should we respond. Because how do they respond about this act of peace? Read with me here in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, now just stop there for a second, heavenly host. We're talking a number beyond comprehension. We're talking millions of angels that have lit up the sky now at this particular time. And what are they seeing in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that's an announcement. Twitter can't do that. Facebook can't do that. Instagram can't do that. Not even any uh, social media company in the world can make that sort of announcement. 
That is the greatest declaration this world has ever heard or ever will hear. Can you see why the angels now are saying, I bring you good news of great joy? Good news of great joy. Of course it's joyful. They're marvelling at what God has done. They're marvelling at this salvation that is now beginning to be worked out by God himself. It's the best news you could ever hear. They're thinking and saying, here is the loveliest, holiest and supreme person in God, the very God that we worship in heaven as angels. He's now constrained himself to come down into this tiny baby boy, helpless, lying in a manger, to save humanity. To save humanity. Saving us to know him but more than know him, to delight in him forever and forever. What else could the angels sing other than it must be glory to God in the highest? It's got to be that. It can't be anything else but that. Because this action of God makes him look spectacularly glorious. Who else does this? He comes himself to save us, to be that peace. Of course the angels look on in raptures and wonder and amazement thinking this is amazing God we know who you are and look what you're doing for these rebels for these enemies these people who are hostile before you surely they can see this is a God glorifying thing and that's why they sing it that way it's pure God exalting worship that they come out with as they see this take place Can you see what the Holy Spirit is doing with us today as we look at this passage here in Luke? What's he showing us? Jesus Christ. The baby born in Bethlehem. It's about the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Caesar Augustus is mentioned at the start of this chapter, but the only peace he brings is by hammering you into submission and then living as a hopeless slave in the empire of this world. How does Jesus bring peace? Jesus brings peace by dying in our place, not hammering us into submission, by dying in our place so that we can be reconciled back to God. Jesus doesn't bludgeon us. Jesus dies for us. How should you or I respond to this glory of God here? How are we supposed to read this and then respond to what we actually read and begin to take in and think and reflect on? I reckon we respond just like the shepherds did. Have a look what they did in verse 20. It says there that they lifted their voices in glorifying and praising God. They lifted their voices, it says there, in glorifying and praising God. That should be our natural response as well. A song should rise up within us when we see what God has done for people who don't deserve it and are unworthy of it, but he comes in his love and he rescues and he saves. We too should be a a people worshipping, praising and glorifying God for this rescue and salvation that he's now initiating through the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there though. If we think about the, the shepherds before that in verse 17... It says they want, they want to go and declare to others what had been told to them. We must go and tell others and see what's happened and declare these things that's been told to them to Mary and Joseph. And we have that same privilege today here uh, as the mission of the gospel as well. It's not just good news of great joy back then, it is, 
but it is today as well. That's the mission we have as Exchange Church here in the Shepherd and Golden Valley and globally for our missions that we support as well. We want to tell people this good news of great joy. This same God who rescued us through Jesus Christ is still rescuing and saving people today. We want to tell them this good news and great joy so they too can worship and praise God when they see what he has done for them. God saved us. God's rescued us. God's reconciled us. Jesus has called us again to be one with God through him, his death on the cross for us, giving us that peace. You see, Luke 2 is good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and just begin to build on this passage here in the book of Luke. Father, thank you that this truly is good news of great joy. Jesus Christ, the Saviour, born in the city of David, Bethlehem. Father, today I pray, please let your spirit just again uh, take in what's happening here in this uh, passage. Lord, it is no small thing. Millions of angels fill the sky. They announce the glory of God that he's sending his son, him very self, to be our saviour, to be our rescuer. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, strike that upon our hearts in a deep way that, uh, that responds within us profound love and worship and praise. I ask you, pray, let, let the weight of this passage begin to just uh, fill our hearts and minds with how great you are, how loving you are. That you would come and not send an angel to save us. You would come and rescue and save us. And Lord, too, as we think about this good news of great joy, help us, Lord, to be prompted to share this good news of great joy with our, friend, our family, our friends, our work colleagues, wherever we're mixing people. Help us to see, Lord, that we have good news of great joy, that we too can make the same announcement that the angels have made. Lord, today we do ask that, we do pray that now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 